0: Alright, it's time for our children's sermons. So if you are a child, come on up here with me. Have a seat up here if you're visiting with us. We have a special sermon just for our kids. Come on up here. Have a seat right here. It's good to see you guys. Hey bud. Come on up here. It's alright. Good. Alright. Is that all the kids that want to be here for now? Oh, are you coming? Are these guys Cheetos? Perfect. He's coming. All right. Do any of you guys ever run another person against another person in a race? Do you ever, like, say, okay, I'm going to race you to the end of the street, or I'm going to race you to the car? Do you guys like to run and race? Do you, ever, do you ever get in a race with someone on your bicycle? Do you ever get on a bicycle and be like, okay, we're going to race to the end of the block and see who can get there first? Did you ever, do you ever race... Uh, with someone by swimming do you ever say okay we're gonna swim to the end of the pool and see who can get there first what's your favorite way to race who's got a favorite what's your favorite way to race uh, my friend runs and he's very fast so i just ride my electric scooter okay electric scooter versus your friend on foot okay what's your favorite way to race swim. swimming what about yours running, running. running. swimming Running who had a, what's your favorite way to race? Bicycle? Bicycle? What's yours? Running. Running. I bet you guys are all really, really fast. So your assignment when you get home today is to challenge your parents to a race, a running race, to see if you can beat them in a race, okay? Do it after lunch because they'll probably eat too much and they'll be real tired and lethargic and then give you an extra boost. That's right, their belly will hurt. That's true, mine does after lunch. All right, I was watching a show a while back, maybe like a year ago, and it was called The World's Toughest Race, and it was like all these different teams, and they were, I think in this particular show, they were in a place called Fiji, right? Uh, It's like in the Pacific Ocean, that area, and they were teams of four, I think it was four people, and they had to go on a race. All the way through it, it had all different kinds of things. They swam, and they ran, and they rode bicycles, and they were in kayaks and sailboats. It was all these different ways for them to race against each other. The only thing is, is they could really go to get from one point to the other. They could go on any route they wanted to. And so sometimes people would go this way, and others went this way, and one team could only, only one team could win, but they each made their own path for how they were going to race. Did you know what's really interesting? Can I tell you something that's really cool? Did you know that God wants us to run a race? Did you know that? And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Did you know that God has a very specific path for you? A way for you to live? Things for you to do? A really special purpose for you to complete? And your whole life, God is going to help you to walk on that path and to complete that race that he set before you. Did you know that? And that's what I'm going to talk about today. There's a unique, special race from God for you to run. Did you know that? And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. So you need to run your race that God gives you to run, and you need to not be afraid, okay? Run your race. Don't be afraid. Now, the word of the day is race, okay? Word of the day is race race. So if you haven't been here before, you're going to count how many times I say the word race. And then on your way out tonight, today, today, you let me know, okay? All right. Get out of here. Go sit with your parents or whoever you came with. I'm going to preach to your, your parents for a little while. All right, church. Let's take out a copy of God's word together and open up to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 today. If you have a Bible, you can open it up, open your phone. We have Bibles in the pews. The Scripture is also going to be right up here on the screen. So we're going to run our race today. Acts chapter 20. Now last week, you probably remember, I covered uh, the first of three points in a sermon. Uh, so moved by the Spirit, I got through one, one point and saved the other two for today. And so that's what we're going to cover in Acts chapter 20 as we look at verses 1 through 38. Now what we see in the beginning of Acts chapter 20 verses 1 through 16 is, Paul is dis- or, uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, is describing Paul's missionary journey. So I think Daniel or Augie, one of you guys can put a map up on the screen. There it is. I know this is tiny, um, but where we're going to catch up with Paul, you can see him in Asia in a place called Ephesus. And so what's going to happen is the description of verses 1 through 16, Paul leaves the city of Ephesus where he spent quite a bit of time sharing the gospel, leading people to faith in Jesus. And then he's going to travel up through Thrace, Macedonia, into Greece, ending in Corinth, and then traveling almost the same route all the way back to a place called Miletus, Miletus is where we're going to catch up with Paul. So as Paul traveled back across through uh, the region where Ephesus is located, he didn't want to stop in Ephesus because he was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. So as you guys know, um, any uh, raise your hand if you're a local Key Westerner, any local, any local people, yeah, you live here all 365 days a year. Um, our island is two by four miles, right? And so there's really nowhere you you can go. Um, Everywhere you go, you have a friend, right? If you're going to go to the store, you probably pass three friends' house on the way to the store. Now, have you ever been in a hurry to get to the store and get home? Anybody? Ever in a hurry? Now, if you're a local, you understand you don't go anywhere in Key West in a hurry. First of all, our speed limit is 25 or 30 in almost every place. Number two... There's a chance you're going to get behind a golf cart or a small scooter or a motorized bicycle or a regular bicycle, and you're not even going to get to the speed limit. Number three, on your way to the grocery store, you're going to go by like two or three friends' houses, and there's a chance they're going to be outside. If they see your car, what do you have to do? You have to stop. And then begins a whole process of stopping. It's not a wave, it's not a honk. In Key West, you stop, and then you're going to talk, and that talk, the conversation, is probably at least 20 minutes, uh, maybe longer. Um, And then on the way out, you do the Cuban goodbye. You say goodbye about 15 times. You're literally trying to drive away, waving at them. They're trying to get in their house. They're waving at you. And then when you get to the grocery store, the whole process starts over. If you go on a Saturday, you're going to give yourself a good hour for one thing, right? Because you're going to see people in the aisle. You've got to stop and talk. It's a process. That's why we live here. We love it. This is what Paul's talking about. He's not going to stop in Ephesus because he's trying to get to Jerusalem. He's like, ain't nobody got time for Ephesus right now. We've got to get to Jerusalem. So what he did was he went to Miletus, uh, which is a town about 20 miles away from Ephesus, and he sent word to the pastors of Ephesus and said, hey, you all need to come over here. I don't have time you know, to spend another six months with you guys. So you guys come over here and see me, and so that's what's happened. We learn from Paul in the first part of our message in Acts chapter 20 that he's called us um, to preach the gospel, right? To preach the gospel, to humbly fight through trials, to share the whole gospel, and to tell that gospel message to everybody you know. That's the first part of Paul's message to us, and that's what I covered last week. So we are to fight through trials, preaching and teaching the gospel. Now, what I'm going to cover this morning, two things. The first thing, we fight through trials, preaching the gospel. Number two, we finish the course. We finish the race. That's the first time I said it, girls. Everybody ready? Everybody got one down for race? All right. Just making sure they're paying attention. So we're going to finish the course. Let me tell you something, church. God has a race for you to run. Do you know that? God has an amazing plan for your life. We're going to talk about that today. And God has a unique path, a unique race. For you to run. And God's the one that defines that race for you. God's the one that empowers you to run the race. And by the way, God desires to provide an everlasting and eternal reward for you after the race is over. And so we're going to talk about finishing the course. And this is what Paul writes about here. What Luke writes about and Paul says in verse 22. It says, And now I am on my way to Jerusalem as he speaks to these pastors from Ephesus and to us. Compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. So let me just give you an update about Paul's life and ministry right now. Paul, for some time, and you can look back and read about this in Acts chapter 19, has felt a compelling from the Holy Spirit, a calling from the Holy Spirit to make his way back to Jerusalem. And so he's explained this a couple times in a a few different churches. that God's calling me back to Jerusalem. And so he's made his way up and around and into Greece in Corinth and then made his way back to Miletus on his way back to Jerusalem. Now, what Paul knows about Jerusalem, he knows two things. One, he knows that conflict awaits him there. He knows that that God's called him to go there and he also knows that conflict awaits him there. Paul knows through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that chains and persecution await him in Jerusalem. Now, what's amazing about this, and totally contrary to you and I in the way that we would use our logic in this circumstance, is God has both called Paul to Jerusalem and told Paul, by the way, you're going to encounter some really significant persecution in Jerusalem and you're going to be arrested. That's what Paul got. That's the message that Paul received from the Lord. Go to Jerusalem, and by the way, when you get there, they're going to be really nasty to you and they're going to arrest you. Now, that seems very difficult. That God could both call him there and do so with the knowledge that Paul would undergo a very difficult season of persecution. We learn later in the book of Acts that we'll cover in coming weeks that Paul would ultimately be... Um, arrested, dragged around uh, the Middle East and ultimately end up in Rome where he would be executed for his faith in Jesus. That was God's calling on Paul's life. Now, what would Paul do with that calling? What would Paul do? Well, you know Paul. We've been going through Acts for quite a bit. Paul's going to do exactly what God told him to do and that's exactly what he did he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to finish the race. He's going to be arrested and he's going to be taken to Rome and he will be killed. And Paul still went. So when someone's willing to do that, I think what they tell us is especially important because Paul demonstrated unique and supernatural faith in Jesus. I've seen this in the lives of other people. When you hear about what Paul did with his life in ministry, it almost seems like he's superhuman, doesn't it? Like, well, you know, that's the Apostle Paul. Nobody could do the things Paul did, and that's wrong. Because I've seen people do the same types of thing that Paul has done. Let me give you an example. I have a very good friend of mine in another city here in Florida who was in, raised um, in Iraq in a Muslim home. And through God's ministry and God's grace in that home, he was able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was saved. He was born again. And God's calling upon his life didn't stop there. He was called also to pastor God's church in Iraq. Now, do you think that it was uh, an easy calling to pastor a Christian church in Iraq? It wasn't. He was able to come to America as a refugee on his way... Uh, in route to getting out of Iraq. uh, He suffered broken bones. He had a broken back. Um, He has scars on his back from beatings and torture. He actually flew on a plane from the refugee camp where he was to America with a broken back. Anybody in here ever had a broken back? I have not. I imagine it's exceptionally painful to do anything with a broken back, let alone run for your life fly on an airplane, and wait maybe weeks or months for a surgery. This is my friend. Now, his calling from God didn't end there. God called him when he got to America not to live his best life now. God called him to live God's life for him now. You know what that was? God put a burden on his heart to reach Muslims. In the city where he ended up living, how do you think that goes in America? It's easy, right? There in America, it's real easy to share the gospel. Everybody receives it. There's no chance of danger or persecution. That none of that's true either. God called my friend to share the gospel in the city he was living in, and he started to do that. Do you know that his um, dozens of house churches he's planted since he moved here have to meet in secret? Because the very people that he's trying to reach will infiltrate his house churches and then persecute the people that attend. This is in America. This is in the state of Florida. And then that's not where they stop. They will infiltrate the house church, persecute the people that are attending that church, and then the enemy Satan uses them to make connections to family they have back home in the Middle East, and they'll send people after their family to kill them. All of this happens. I've seen names and faces, and I can verify to you that that happens today, and that happens in our state. And that's what my friend was called to do. And just like Paul, he followed the Lord. He followed the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Will you, like Paul, will you, like my friend, walk with Jesus intentionally into the dark valley? Will you follow him into the lion's den? Will you intentionally engage in the battle knowing that you will receive persecution? Knowing that you could experience a difficult season of life? Well, why should we do that? Maybe that's your question today. Why should we follow Jesus' call and engage in spiritual warfare for the sake of Christ? Well, Paul answers that question next in verse 24. He says, But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and to finish the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. The single greatest characteristic of Paul's life is that he gave his life to Jesus. Now Paul didn't just give his life to Jesus in some sort of symbolic way. It wasn't like there was a moment in time where he said, yeah, Jesus, here's here's my life, and I'm going to follow you. And then he turned away and walked and did whatever it is he wanted to do. Paul gave his life to Jesus. He essentially signed the title deed of his life over to Christ. So that whatever it was that Jesus called him to do is what he did. Thus, Paul's life was of no value in and of itself. That's very interesting. Paul found his value in Jesus and that calling upon his life to follow Jesus. This world and pop culture is very eager and ready to tell you where you can find value. Did you know that? Our culture is eager to tell you that you find your value in your accomplishments. You find your value in in how much money you have. You find your value in in being married or, or having children. Or you find your value in Doing whatever the pop culture tells you to do, which is probably the most popular movement today. Church, we don't find our value in pop culture. We don't find our value in the things that we own. We don't find our value even in the relationships that we have. We don't find our value in our jobs, in our homes, in our cars, in our intellect, and in our possessions. We find our value in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who defines our value. And you know what he says about you, Christian? That you are loved and valued by God. And so like Paul, we can say, my life has no value in and of itself. My life has value because God is the one who declares on my life its value. And fulfilling God's purpose for my life is where I find my value. And this is what Paul is teaching. Paul found value in completing Jesus' mission for his life. And Paul's mission is identified in Romans 15, 20. He says, my aim, or a word you could put in there, my purpose, my race, my reason for living, is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. Paul was willing to run that race and to finish the course no matter what. So that even when, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Paul learns that he's called to go to Jerusalem and to give his life for Christ, he's eager to do so. Remember? He didn't want to stop and visit Ephesus because it would take too long. Because he was eager to complete the race that God laid before him. The first question I have for you when we look at this text is, Are you running God's race for you? I like to run with the kids. Let me correct that. I don't enjoy running at all, but I like spending time with my kids, and I like running because it's healthy for me. And so we'll go out and run, and we'll pick a path ahead of time, maybe run to the end way to the end, a few blocks down, and then run back, and then we've got a path. But while we're running, we'll see other runners out on the street, right? They'll be running maybe with us or in the opposite direction. We'll see them running down a different street. And you know what's funny is we don't see them running and then just like turn and kind of merge with them and go running with them, do we? Any joggers in here? Laura, I was just waiting. Make sure you had your hand up. When, when we go running we think ahead of time probably where we're going to run or have an idea where we're going to go. When you're running, how often do you like see another runner and just think, I think I'm going to follow them for a while? It's kind of creepy, and it's outside of your plan, so you don't do it. So let me give you another question. Why, oh why, while we're running the path that God has laid out for us, when we see other people on a different path, why do we turn and run on their path? God gives us his word, and in his word, he defines these parameters. The the word of God is is our life manual. It's it's like the manual you have in your car that tells you how to take care of that car and and when you should change the oil and what kind of tires it's supposed to have and all that stuff. God's given us a manual. He he made us, first of all, right? He made you uniquely for a purpose on purpose. And then he gave us this manual, and this, this is how we're supposed to live. God laid out the parameters for our life and when we live in accordance with his parameters and his desires, we'll have a healthy, good, joy-filled life defined by him. So you don't run anybody else's race because God has a plan for your life. like Uniquely, God has designed you and before you were born, He, he had a, a desire and a destiny for you to run this path with Jesus. You, you have a purpose, a unique purpose and a unique path. And, and church, we've got to stop allowing other people, especially this world, to define the path and the course the race that we run. Instead, we need to look to the Lord and follow the path that He has for us. Do you remember the moment that you heard the gospel and turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Anybody remember that day? Do you remember that moment? Whoa, it was a good moment, right? Right? Okay. The best you can do. All right. You know, in heaven, you're gonna be like, "Woo, yeah!" Right? Okay. You need more time to get ready for that moment. Here's the struggle we have as believers. When I was thinking about this text and really thinking about it in my own life, so I'm not I'm not just laying this burden on top of you. I, I carry this burden around this week. We have a, a, a unique challenge as Western Christians, we are Christians that battle entitlement from God. Right? Here's the challenge. We believe that God owes us a good life the way the world defines a good life. Like, we believe God owes us to be healthy and wealthy and happy the way the world defines those things. When our God has not promised any of those things to us, he's promised something better than any of that. He's prom- what does he promise? He's promised to us, first of all, forgiveness of our sin and reconciliation with him, our God and our creator. Then, First of all, we get that by his grace, not through our works. It's it's through God's grace and his blessing and the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us on the cross, dying, rising again on the third day, right? That's all stuff that God gave us by his grace and mercy. So he gives us that. Then, when we turn from sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're born again. The Bible says we're made into a new person. The old is gone, the new has come. God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes and dwells within us, right? There is nothing better than that, right? God's Spirit living within you, helping you to understand this word, convicting you of sin, sanctifying you, helping you to become more like Jesus over time, preparing you for eternity, and with him, the Holy Spirit brings, check this out, miraculous gifts, special unique gifts used for the building up of his church. So you get to be a part of this amazing body called the church, and you have unique gifts, unique talents, unique skills. You're a unique package that God designed, that God called to salvation, that God delivered into his church for the purpose of building up the church and making Jesus famous. All of that is what you have, believer, right? That's what God's given you. And then God says, listen, I've given you a path to run. And just run that path. And by the way, as you do what I've naturally inclined you to do through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as you run that race, as you finish that course, as you preach and teach the Word, as you use your administrative skills, as you teach a children's Sunday school class, or as you show compassion to someone in need, as you do those things, regardless of what you receive on this earth for doing those things, he's like, I'm going to stack up a reward for you in heaven. And by the way, that reward never goes anywhere, it doesn't degrade, it can't be taken. And then when you die and go to be with Jesus in heaven, all of that's waiting for you there, an eternal reward from God. That's what God promised us. Listen, that's way better than any of the stuff that most Christians believe they deserve from God, way better. And that's God's word, that's what God has promised to us. Paul ran the race at the end of his ministry. Shortly before he was executed for his faith in Jesus, he writes a letter to Pastor Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.7. This is what Paul said about his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If you were to die tomorrow, could you write that in a letter? If you can't, I've got good news for you. It's not too late. It's not too late for you to run the race. It's not not too late for you to give God glory. It's not too late for you to finish the course. Second question. Are you willing to follow him into the dark places so that people will see the light of the gospel? We are Christians. Someone came into your life and they shared the gospel with you. Do you remember that day? Maybe you heard the gospel many times over time, like I did. That person met you where you were. And if you weren't a believer, that probably wasn't an easy easy conversation for that person. Do you know what I'm talking about? So that person went to a dark place. They met you where you were in your sin, separated from God. And, and they came to you, and they told you about Jesus. Now you, born again believer, like that person who shared the gospel with you, have been called by Jesus (Matthew 28:18 through 20 and Acts 1:8) to share that message with a lost and dying world. Now we would prefer to be able to share that message in comfortable places where everybody agrees with us, but that's not where the lost people are. We need to meet them in dark places. They're separated from God. They're living a a, a life that the world has led them to live that gives honor to Satan. And so we are sharers of light. And so we are called by God to go into dark places and to shed the light, to share the gospel. But it's uncomfortable, it can be unpleasant. But what if the person maybe that you're thinking of right now in your mind, what if that person next week would be sitting next to you in that pew? Because you met them in that dark place. Because you met them in that valley over coffee or tea. Cafe con leche. And shared the gospel with them. What if their life changes tomorrow because you were willing to take the light of the gospel into a dark place the same way Paul did. The key question is will I follow Jesus into the spiritual dark places to fulfill the mission? If you go to see him today do you feel confident in the way you fulfilled his purpose for your life? finish the course finally fear god not wolves we church too often are filled with fear my question to you this morning is what do we have to be afraid of we are sons and daughters of the king of this universe Last I checked, our king has power over all things. Right? And by the way, made us some promises at the end of this book that he's going to make everything right. That he's gone ahead and prepared a place for us in heaven. So really, let's just think for a minute about this. I know you know this, but sometimes we just need to hear it, right? So, We go out and we fulfill Jesus' calling on our life to run our race. And we're promised in the word of God when we run the race and we live a righteous life and we follow Jesus, we're going to experience persecution one way or another. And then we learn that when we run the race, no matter what kind of persecution we experience, we're going to be rewarded for that persecution both in this life and in eternity. And by the way, the worst thing, the worst thing, the worst thing that could happen to you is somebody cuts off your head and you go to be with Jesus in heaven for eternity in paradise where there's no pain, there's no tears, there's no persecution, there's sheer unspeakable unexplainable, indescribable joy that never ends forever and ever. What on earth do we have to be afraid of? Nothing. I believe that Paul lived that way. And we can live that way too. Look at verse 28. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. Remember, he's speaking to pastors to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So Paul commands pastors to guard two groups of people. First of all, he says, guard yourselves. So pastors are supposed to be examples to the flock. Pastors are supposed to heed, obey, and live by the word of God, to love God's church, to pour themselves out for the ministry of the gospel in the equipping of the saints. With that, a pastor is automatically brought into a dark place. As he leads God's people, as he shares the gospel with the lost, as the church grows both numerically and spiritually, the enemy, Satan, does not like pastors He wants to shut their mouths and terminate their ministries. So please pray for your pastors. Pastors, undergo an extensive amount of spiritual warfare on your behalf. As we kneel and pray for you specifically, as we meet with you and offer counsel from the Word of God, as we walk with you through the darkest times of your life, the enemy Satan doesn't want your pastor to be a part of your life. And he certainly doesn't want you to be led by your pastor to greater faith in Jesus and more effectiveness. So a pastor does walk through very significant spiritual warfare. So a pastor must guard himself from sin and temptation and falling. So that's the first thing that that Paul says they must do, guard yourselves. Second, he says guard the flock. The flock is the church, that's you all. And me. I'm the pastor, but I'm also part of the church. Why does Paul give this warning? Why does a pastor need to guard himself and the church? Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up, even from your own number, and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I never stopped warning. Each of each one of you with tears. Paul went through significant persecution in proclaiming the gospel as a missionary to the Gentiles. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was uh, in uh, the ocean in the sea for three days. He was whipped. He was left for dead. He was screamed at, yelled at. His best friends left him. People he believed loved Jesus turn from Jesus, and try to turn others away from Jesus. That was Paul's ministry. Paul knew, it must have been through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that after he left that area, that some men from inside of the church, so these are professing Christians, were going to rise up as soon as Paul was gone, and they were going to lead the church, or attempt to lead the church away from correct doctrine and following Jesus. Paul calls them wolves. Think of the, 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 the picture he's painting here. The church is a flock. The church are sheep. Wolves, as he describes in other examples, in sheep's clothing. So people professing to be Christians who weren't really believers are going to rise up in Ephesus. And so he's warning the pastors, he's warning our church about this. He says in Ephesians 5, 6-14, He describes in detail what's going to happen in Ephesus. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. And then in Colossians 2.8, he says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. That is alive and well today in our culture. And at times, it is alive and well in the church and it has been alive and well in this church. So Paul completes this, and then I'll close. Verse 32 in Acts 20. And now I commit to you, God, into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's gold or silver or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me in every way i have shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the lord jesus because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive after he said this he knelt down and prayed with all of them and there were many tears shed by everyone they embraced paul and kissed him giving most of all over his uh, giving over most all over his statement that they would never see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship so God has appointed me to be your pastor and to serve you in this ministry here in Key West. God has appointed you to serve in this ministry here in Key West. If you're here today, if you're, if you're a part of this church, you've got a place in this church If you're a born-again believer visiting us from another city, you have a purpose and God has a plan for your life. God has a path on which for you to run, a course for you to complete. Finish that race. And finish that race with confidence and boldness and without fear. What do we have to be afraid of? Nothing. Because we serve the king of the universe. All authority has been given to our Lord Jesus and he's called us to a race. And as you serve in your various places in the ministry, guard the flock. Stand against improper, unbiblical teaching and doctrine. There will be wolves in sheep's clothing in this church and in your church wherever you're going to go home. And the enemy Satan will attempt to use them To steer the church away from righteous, godly, joyful, biblical living. And Christian, it's not only the pastor's job, it's your job. To stand for what's right. To stand for what God has called us to do. To stand for proper doctrine and biblical living. Do that with total and complete faith in Jesus. By his grace and with joy. And like Paul, finally sacrificially give of yourself. He said it's better to give than to receive. Are you giving your time? Are you giving your money, your resources, your talents for the building up of God's church? Or is there still something you're holding back? Don't hold out on us. You've got something amazing to offer because of what Jesus has done in your life. And this church, it deserves it. That's God promised us. You, believer, in this church are a part of a body of Christ, and the rest of the body deserves what you have to offer. And so do that with joy and with passion and with boldness. Run God's race. Can you guys say that too with me? Ready? Run God's race. Do not fear the wolves. All right? Run the race. Do it with boldness and passion and love and without fear because we've got nothing to be afraid of. Amen? You're the people of God. You serve the King. Follow Jesus into the dark places. Run the race and don't be afraid. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song together, and I'm going to ask you in a minute for everyone just to stand, and you're going to have an opportunity to respond to whatever God's doing in your life. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Maybe you need to come forward and you need to follow Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you need to be saved. Come forward. I want to pray with you and show you how to do that. Maybe you know God's race for your life. You know that God's called you into something, and you're like, I've been holding back. There's something I'm called to, and I know it. Come up here. I'll pray with you about that. You can pray right here at the altar, whatever it is. Use this time to take a step of faith. Use this and what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart to make a decision during this moment of decision. Would you all stand with me? Heavenly Father, I pray over this moment. I lift up every person in this room. You know every one of us. You know who we are. You made us you know the race and the course that you set before us. And some of us are are running on that path and others are not, but the great news is, Lord, all of us at any time can come back and run the race you've called us to. I pray specifically right now for the one who does not yet know you. I pray, Lord God, through your Holy Spirit, that you would make them uncomfortable in their seat with inexpressible joy and conviction that you would draw them to the front so we could pray with them and they could be saved lord i pray over this church that you would help us to remain steady in our faith and doctrine and the way we live that it would honor you and finally god that you would help us to live without fear We love you and we thank you for the time you've given to us today during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.